Dear Lord, just as we are, poor, wretched, blind, dear Father, we come to Thee to receive sight and healing of the mind, to receive the riches that are in Christ Jesus. Dear Father, Thy children especially, we acknowledge this. We are the ones that know just how poor we are apart from Thee. And if we've forgotten that, like the church in Laodicea, we need to be reminded that we are poor and wretched without thee, if we are not following thee, if we are not doing and about thy business. Dear Father, we're so thankful for this hour, this time that we have to, to praise thee in song, to be reminded of thy goodness to us, and to receive instruction, to receive the words of our Master, the one who has said for us to occupy till thou wilt come again. Dear Father, not only to receive those instructions, but to receive the motivation, the encouragement that the very bread of life from Thee, the one who empowers, the one who gives, the one who restores. What a wonderful example we have in Thee, dear Father, and Thou art the source of our strength. So we would learn of Thee this hour. We pray this in the name, in Thy name, dear Jesus. Amen. I'd like to, to turn a few chapters back from where we read this morning in the Gospel of Luke to the beginning of that final week of Jesus' life, Luke chapter 19. Let's start with verse 11. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God would, should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, Behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because th thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. 
And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why ye loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as they went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and come past thee around and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. I've read to verse 44. I'd like to stop there. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So this is a account you all know well, the, the Palm Sunday account, and this is the, the Sunday before uh, Easter Sunday. It's in, recorded in all four gospels. It was seen as important by the gospel writers that they would record this account of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And, and we also did read the parable of the 10 pounds before that. But I'd first like to focus on Jesus entering into Jerusalem and what a singular scene that was. What a remarkable scene. Not from the external uh, view of it. Not simply from the crowds of people or this remarkable sight of a man riding a donkey into Jerusalem and people cheering him. But from the reflection now as we stand here that he, and it's true really of the entire, all of the events of, of his passion, that he was the only one who really knew 
what was going on. He was the only one who really knew all of what was happening, and he went willingly. He, he did this on purpose. He knew full well what he was doing, and everyone else had, had no idea. They all had different concepts. The, where we started reading in verse 11, his disciples, they thought that the, the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Now's the time it's gonna be established. The crowd, the disciples, those that were around, they also thought, they had this concept that this is it. This is this, is this one we've been hearing so much about. In John's gospel, um, he says the news of Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead, that really stirred people up and this is remarkable. And that whole uh, other testimony of three years of doing remarkable things, miracles that, that the Pharisees would wanna ignore or explain away, but the average person remarked on them. They were not something you could just put aside. When 5,000 people are fed in the desert by a few loaves and fish, and, and the same thing happens with 4,000 when people are healed, when people are brought back to life, there was a huge stir. But these people had the wrong conception, the wrong idea of Jesus. The praises that they, they said and, 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 uh, and spoke, blessed is the king, uh, in other gospels says, Hosanna, save us. It's a form of praise, a form of, of adulation. They were quoting Psalm 118. The words were correct. You know, where we are standing here on this side of history, we see the words, they're correct. They're oh so fitting that this is the son of David. This is the king of Israel that would save his people. We see they're so correct, but if we really reflect on it, the people that were saying these things, they didn't really know what they were saying. They didn't really know this man, Jesus, the real purpose he had come a week later. I imagine some of these same people turned around when we were part of the crowd that were shouting, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. So these people in the crowd had no idea. They didn't really know what was going on. Even the, the re religious leaders who we heard this morning had made that plot and planned, we gotta get rid of Jesus, we need to, to do it. Even they didn't have a concept. This, this wasn't the time. They said, no, no, we shouldn't do it on the feast. This is going to cause an uproar of the people. Let's find a quiet moment to take him up. So this was also not, this is out of their time. They didn't understand. And Jesus, in his own, um, his own volition, of his own choice, he chose now to enter into Jerusalem so that he would be offered up on the Passover as the, as the ultimate Passover lamb. Jesus is the only one in this whole scene who knows exactly what he's doing. John says, even that prophecy about that, this very specific prophecy in Zechariah 9, where he says, behold, your king comes unto you riding upon a donkey uh, and, and the colt the foal of an ass. Even that particular uh, messianic uh, prophecy Jesus particularly chose, he gave us precise instructions, supernatural instructions that who could know that there would be a donkey tied here at this time and, and, uh, and it would be allowed to be used by the owners, etc. And the disciples didn't realize that. It says afterwards they realized that they had done these things to him. And as Brother Mark reflected this morning, this is also a sign of, of God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of this particular man, the Lord Jesus Christ, his kingship, his royal reign, as he enters in, in the only way, 
the, the antithesis of the world's wisdom, of, a, of, a, of a, what they would have expected and thought, but supremely kingly, the ultimate wisdom of the Lord, humbly, not only on a donkey, on the, on the cult of a donkey, the, 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 uh, uh, the foal, the one that had been born from a donkey that had never even been ridden yet. What a humble animal. And he chose, particularly, this is the way I'm going to enter. I'm going to present myself to this nation of Israel as their king and full well know that they're going to reject, reject me and turn and kill me. So that's, as, as I think about this Palm Sunday, you know, I often thought, well, what's the, what's the spiritual significance? What do we need to reflect and learn from this? First of all, we need to see the Lord Jesus as the one who is ultimately in control of this, who is in the midst of all this tumult. I can't imagine what his expression was, but I'm sure it was one of calmness, one of, 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 of serenity, but I imagine tinged with sadness too, as he knew what was before him, as he knew that these people that were so happy to see him, that were spreading their clothes on the ground as a sign of royalty, that's what they did in the, the Old Testament. When the example was uh, Yehu, when, when he was proclaimed king, they spread their clothes for him to walk upon. As they did all these things, they were so excited, children, and, and, and he told the, the Pharisees that the stones would cry out if these children were not, crying, were not praising. As he received that praise as his rightful due, at the same time knowing these same people, would, he would be utterly alone in that moment on the cross. These same people would reject him, would turn from him, and yet he goes willingly. He is the only one who knows exactly what is going on in all of this. Why did we read this parable before this, the parable of the 10 pounds? And how are they related? What struck me about this parable of the 10 pounds, and I think the, 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 one of the things that, that God wants us to focus on in this is that wicked servant, the one who gave back the pound and said, I didn't do anything with it. I wasn't, you know, and, and the reason he gives, he says, I knew you were an austere man or a severe man, a harsh man. And I had to think about that. Is that really true? No, I don't think that's true. If you reflect on this parable, I don't think you'd see this Lord as a severe man. He was a Lord. These were his servants. <laughs> Anyone in that time and that culture would understand a servant does what his master bids him. That's the expectation. He's not being severe at all in telling them, work with the money that I've given you. He's gracious. In the end, the reward he gives them for their faithfulness far exceeds. Be thou ruler over 10 cities from, from, from a, a good return on 10 pounds. And I understand this, this sum uh, in the Greek, it's a mina or whatever it was in the time. It's not like a talent. That's, an, that's another separate, separate parable. It's, it's, it's a good sized chunk of money, but it's not a huge amount of money. He gave it to them. They worked with it. They gained a sizable return on it. But then from, to take them from that faithfulness to make them a ruler over 10 cities, wow, that's a, a gracious Lord. That's a, a, a very merciful Lord. So this wicked servant, his, his characterization of his Lord was a wrong one. It was not right. This Lord was not an austere man. It was because he didn't really know his Lord. It was because he didn't really know who this Lord was and who he would come back as, as the ruler now of the kingdom. That's why he did what he did. He wasted his time. 
put aside the pound. I wrapped it up in a napkin. It's safe. I didn't do anything with it. I went about and did my own thing. I didn't occupy. I didn't, I didn't do what you wanted me to do, basically. And I think that's what, in my mind, links these two things, this parable of Jesus and this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is that they didn't really know who Jesus was. This wicked servant didn't really know who Jesus was. Or if he did at one point, he forgot about it, made excuses about it. They're widely different events. This, this entry into Jerusalem, the disciples expected this is it. This is the beginning of the kingdom. This is when things are going to start to happen. The parable that Jesus told to his disciples was, I'm not going to be coming back for a long time. That's the, the basic implication of it. When we read there in verse 11, because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear, he said, therefore, I'm going away to receive a kingdom. I'm going to be coming back. I'm going to be rewarding my servants based on how they've occupied. This is the, the story that you need to keep. There will come a triumphal entry one day of the king in all his glory when he returns, that, of which this was just the foreshadow, this was just the taste. There will come that day. But in the meantime, we need to occupy till he comes. I'm drawn to his reflections here after that triumphal entry as he looks over the city. He beheld the city and wept over it and saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. The things which belong unto thy peace. If they had really known who Jesus was, they could have avoided all of the subsequent pain, the, the, the horror, the, all the things he describes exactly, the siege of Jerusalem that happened, to, if I'm not mistaken, 40 years later, where it was surrounded, leveled to the ground, not one stone left upon another. They didn't know the time of their visitation. I think that phrase there means not only the diligence of knowing God's word, you know, if they'd known, we, like we heard recently in Daniel 9, those, those precise timeline laid out that you can actually go to the day from the command to go forth to, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and, and um, I forget who the, the, the king was, plus seven weeks, which is... Uh, um, the seven weeks of years, and then plus another 62 weeks of years, you get to 483 years to the day from one point to the other. This is the time of thy visitation. If they'd known, like Daniel, as he studied the word in the Babylonian captivity, that he knew now is the time, the 70 years are elapsed that Jeremiah prophesied. If they'd known, if they'd studied that, if they'd been waiting, they missed the visitation not only from that aspect, but they missed the visitation as in knowing who the visitor was. If we would know who is coming to visit us at a certain time, oh, that, that would make all the difference. If someone important is coming, it's gonna, I'm going to be at your house at 5 p.m. tomorrow, and you know who that person is, you know not only the time, but you know the importance of that visit. 
you're going to make ready. Things are going to be set right. You're not going to be running around still doing stuff when five o'clock rolls around. This is the sense in which they miss the visitation. I pray that you and I wouldn't miss that visitation, not only for the time, the sense of time, this day of grace that is given to us before the Lord returns, but also in the sense of his personage, of who he is, this man riding a a donkey, the, the colt, the foal of an ass. Because this parable also has that same that same parallel. There's an interesting historical context I didn't know until I read um, the son of Herod the Great, one of his sons, one of his three sons, Archelaus. As we said, he, they were kings under the Romans. They, they couldn't just... Uh, you know, have a certain line of succession. They actually had to, because the, the Roman emperor was over them, they had to go to Rome to receive their kingdom. They had to uh, kind of acknowledge the power of Rome, and Rome had to bless and say, okay, Archelaus, you can be the next king after Herod the Great. And so this Archelaus, he went from Judea to Rome to receive his kingdom. And a group of Jews came after him and said, we will not have this man to reign over us. They didn't... Yeah, I mean, was pretty accurate. He turned out to be a horrible king. He was deposed shortly after or, or replaced shortly after. But there was, a, there was a delegation of Jews that went to Rome with a letter and said, we will not have this man to rule over us. So I think the people that heard this parable, they would have understood what Jesus was implying here is that there is a king that is coming again and, and those citizens of his that rejected his reign, he says, he ends the, the, the parable with this. Those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. A very uh, stark and, and strong end to this parable, but it's a, a clear one. If you do not acknowledge the lordship of the Lord Jesus as your ruler, your king, there is one end. There is one end and it's a bleak one. So it's a warning for you in this good day of grace. Not to just welcome the Lord Jesus like this big tumult of people with we can mouth the praises of Scripture, we can quote Psalm 118, we can be excited, but it really doesn't have any staying power, it doesn't really have any meaning, it doesn't, it's, it's a praise that's ultimately about us. We're going we're gonna to be free from the Romans now. Or we can receive him and wait patiently as those servants and occupy, work with what he's given us until that day comes when he does return and give us uh, greater responsibilities in his kingdom. May the Lord bless uh, this word as we consider that, as we go through this week, as we come up to the, the Easter week, as we then learn really who the Lord Jesus is as we see what he did for us on the cross in the empty tomb so that we would really know him, that we wouldn't be confused about what he's doing in our lives, what he's called us to do and instructed us to do. May God bless his word. As I briefly alluded to, the, this parable, the parable we read, is subtly different from the other parable about the three servants with the differing talents that were given to them. This parable, there's 10 servants. Each servant is given a pound. There's 10 pounds given out. And I think, to me, closely, more closely links to the some sense that we've all been given, as, as servants of the Lord, all been given the gift of salvation. We've all been given that wonderful, amazing work on the cross that Jesus did for us that we, we uh, receive by faith. 
Now what are we going to do with it? How are we going to occupy with it? How are we going to multiply that gift of salvation to God's honor and glory to turn around and give him when he returns? I think that will have a, a lot to do with the nature of the return when the Lord comes again, when the, the palm branches, the palms of victory are, are being, the victor comes into his city to be welcomed by his people. If we have occupied and been busy about his business, and that's my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us, dear, that, that God would uh, give us that strength, that, that zeal and that desire to serve him with what little time we have before he returns again and before the day of his visitation. May God bless the, this word to, to us this week, coming week, and give us that strength, that encouragement to, uh, to work for him, to resist the wiles of the devil, as we heard this morning, and, uh, and await for his return.